Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. Let's give each other a hand, okay? I like to make noise in the house of God. In the house of God, do you know that in heaven, it's really loud, right? It's loud in heaven. You read any of the Psalms, my son is a drummer. Go the drummers, okay? It's great for the drummers. It's not good for the mums of drummers and the neighbors of drummers, okay? Because he's been drumming since he's probably two or three years old. He's now 25. And we were grateful when they invented electronic drums. Because all you heard was this instead of crash, crash, crash. But he kept saying to me, Mom, there's drums in heaven and there's cymbals in heaven and cymbals are much louder than me and trumpets. Do you know how loud a trumpet is when it plays in your house? So make a joyful noise. Choose to make some noise. Don't be afraid. Get loose. Get loose and choose. Not that loose, but you know. (laughs) We can have fun in the house of God. It's okay. It really is okay to have fun. So I just want to just first thank Linda and everyone for inviting me here. Thank you for contacting me. It's really a privilege. Immediately, when I was contacted, I was actually in New York. My dad and mom still live there. You can tell by my accent. It's a bit New York, a bit Italian, a bit Australian. I don't know. So bear with it all. Just know that these feet have been on many continents in many different places, and I've lived in many different situations. So how it comes out, and sometimes they speak in tongues, so you never know what you're going to get um, when it comes out. But So last year I was back in New York, caring for mom and dad. Dad's 86 now, um, bound to a wheelchair after having a stroke. Up until that point, a strong man um, in construction doing his what he does best, building houses and doing all kinds of things. And now mom's caring for him, so it was a bit of a journey last year, but I'm grateful that I'm back here home. I am an Australian citizen and have been in Australia for 15 years, and um, I'll tell you a bit more about my story in a minute, but thank you for trusting me that in the next hour, God is going to speak to you through this broken vessel. If he can speak through me, he can speak through anybody. And I say that often because when you start to hear the story, a bit like Deanna, sometimes, you know, the mask that we wear is, is, wow, you know, she's done this and you read the bio. I hate when people ask me for a bio because it's kind of like, maybe one day I'm just going to write, no, I haven't done anything. Full stop. (laughs) Introduce me as Diane. Yeah, because that's who I am. Just me. You know, it's not about what I do. Bios are all about what you do and it makes you sound all impressive. But, you know, without God, I couldn't have done any of it. So who loves the word of God? Who loves the word of God? I love the word of God. And his word to me is like a mirror. Sometimes I hate looking into the mirror. It's hard to look at what we see in it. Um, The word of God, it says, is like a hammer, which growing up in a house with a carpenter as a dad, he always had hammers all around. So he he would build amazing things with that hammer. And you could build great things with the word of God. But it also crushes things. You know, my dad had quite a few black nails from kind of missing, and he could, my brother used to grab that thing. I have a twin brother, and he used to grab that hammer every once in a while and bash your little toes and <laughs> follow you around the house. So the hammer can build up or it can crush. The Word of God can separate the truth from deception. And sometimes if you're sitting in deception and you read the truth... You just want to close that book, don't you? Because you don't really want to see it. But the truth can be illuminating and the truth can be freeing and the truth 
sets us free, but sometimes it's really hard to see the truth when you are sitting in a place for so long. It says the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's kind of like a human GPS system. Um, If I didn't have the GPS, I never would have found Kerrang. like left here, right here, at the tree, make a left, at the, you know, at the river, make a, and I'm going, uh, where are the street signs out here? Like, I don't know. But it's a wonderful place, and I'm just really grateful that God takes me all over the world to speak in places that I know that I could never get to unless he's leading. So it really is an incredible privilege to be here and to rely on his word, because I know that just one word from God Just one word from him can change the whole trajectory of your life. You may think that this is it, that this is where you're going to be for the rest of your life. I don't care how old you are. Sarah was pretty old when God said, I think you're going to have a little change in life now. (laughs) Oh, no, God. You know, not now. I I couldn't imagine at my age. I can't imagine if you're in your 80s. So, like, come on, God, anything is possible, right? Anything is possible? Yes? Anything, even for you, right? Yes. It's not always about just the people that are up on this platform. It's about the whole body of Christ. It's about every one of us doing whatever it is that God has equipped you, even the ones all the way in the back row. He's made you special. He's made you unique. If you just pray with me, I need to start in prayer, sorry. Father God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We lift up your name because your name is above every other name. I thank you, Father, for your spirit. I thank you for your son. I thank you, Father, that you created each one of us. And you knew before we were even born that we would be in this room at this time because you are drawing us to yourself. Father, I pray that even as Paul prayed that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us. Father, thank you that you place Jesus to be over everything for the church, which is your body, the fullness of Jesus, who fills everything, everyone, in every way. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, that's better. (laughs) The Living Bible Translation. The book of Ephesians, first of all, is just an incredible book for every one of you. I want to challenge you, number one challenge, read the book of Ephesians. Don't wait for your pastors and rely on your pastors to feed you. They're there to encourage and they're there to carry you and they're there to care for you. But it's up to you to feed yourself in the word. Don't ever blame a church, a pastor, a leader for not feeding me. God never intended it for it to be that way. He designed it so that we can have the written word in a Bible form, and you could buy it in any translation you like. Okay? Let God feed you in his word himself. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. In Ephesians chapter 1, just study that first chapter. It's amazing because it tells you who you are and it tells you who the church is of which you are a part of. You, each one of you is a part of the body of Christ. Imagine, it says, And God has put all things under his feet and made Jesus the supreme head of the church, which is his body, filled with himself, 
the author and the giver of everything, everywhere. When you look in the mirror in the morning, do you see yourself as part of the body of Christ? I know I didn't for a long time. And it really took a while for me to get that thinking. I grew up in a Catholic church. And, um, and then when I was about 18, kind of went away completely from, from church and God just because of things that had happened to me. But I remember all these years later when I first read that and I got this amazing revelation that if the word is true, which we all say we believe, if the word is true, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I got to change the way I live. And this, this book of Ephesians was really the tool that God used to get me back on the right track as far as my faith was concerned. So can you imagine the body of Christ, not just in here in Kerrang, but worldwide? Every chosen follower of Jesus, marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit, filled with Jesus. Imagine your, how your life would change if you were filled with Jesus, if you lived the way he lived, if you spoke the way he spoke, if you acted the way he acted. I couldn't get my head around that because I'm thinking, well, I'm not worthy of that. But that's what the word says, you know? That's what the word says, and that's what we're to aim for. It's a lifelong journey to get there, right? So we're going to talk today a bit about some of the choices we make. And the choices that we make... Um, We'll, we'll get into it later, but we're going to start with the quick game. Are people, are you up to playing a little game, having some fun? So I want you to just identify a partner, just quickly identify a partner and face each other. I want you to look at that woman and just notice how beautiful she is. <laughs> You're looking at someone that is created in the image of God. Keep looking at that person. Okay, it's uncomfortable, right? How many of you are already going, oh, don't look at me. Don't, oh, don't look at me. You know? Now, come on. This is the word in action. Okay, this is the word in action. You are looking at someone who has great value and great worth. You're looking at a woman who God himself knit together in her mother's womb. That's incredible. He chose the color of her hair. He chose the way he was gonna, that woman's going to look. Maybe some of us are spending a little bit too much money re-dyeing our hair, but that's okay. The original color of her hair, I should say. <laughs> but you are looking at a woman who was born at a certain day, at a certain time, so that today she could be seated right next to you with a plan and a purpose that he knew before she was even born, that she was going to walk down this road. I mean, we got to stop looking at each other that way. And just so, wow, we just take it for granted. We walk in a room full of women and we go, all right, there's all women here. Okay, great. That woman has an incredible story. Now, how many of you this morning, before you came in and, and heard Deanna's story, just, well, there's Deanna. She's an, oh, she's the speaker today, you know, and don't go any further. Come on, she's had an incredible journey. And we need to be looking at each other, knowing that each one of you has an incredible journey too. And so have I, you know? And, and to have a little bit more compassion as we come into church and see each other. We could have had a really rough week. So it's good to have that compassion. But just remember that God has created you. 
in his image. And he intends for you to live that way. It's so important to remind yourself of your identity in Christ because the world will try to get us off track and make us believe it's about the clothes we wear or the hairstyle or whatever or the career we have or the type of ministry we have when there's nothing further from the truth. So keep going back to the word because that's where you'll find who you are. All right, so back to the game. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, so you've got your partner. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Are we here for three hours today or one? Um, Okay, so I'm going to call out two things. This is the game. I'm going to give you, it's called this or that. Has anyone ever heard of this or that? So you have to choose either this or that. Okay, you can't say the answer is both. You can't say neither one. You have to choose one or the other, okay? So you got that? So I'm going to call out two things, and you are going to choose one or the other. Now, at the same time, I know women can multitask, so we can do all of that, and we could also notice if both of you are saying the same answer at the same time, or if you have different answers, okay? So for example, here's the first one. Are you ready? Look at your partner. We're all going to say the answers out loud together. Ready? So chocolate or fruit? <laughs> Did anyone choose fruit? Oh, okay. Woohoo. Okay. All right. How about, okay, ready? Cats or dogs? Ready? Restaurant food, restaurant food or home-cooked meal? Summer, summer or winter? Who likes winter? I like winter too. Coffee or tea? How about reading a book or watching TV? Okay, here's a good one. Ready? White bread or multigrain bread? Woo, that sounded good. All right, just a few more. International holiday or a brand new car? Whoa. Whoa. Who wants to go to New York and stay with my family? Um, okay, one, two more. The cups, think about the cups and the glasses that are in your kitchen cupboard. Are they right side up or are they upside down? And lastly, okay, last, last one, last one. This is important toilet paper. Over or under? Okay, give yourselves a hand. Give yourselves a hand. That's the game. So I think you might have found out a little bit about the person next to you. That's a good thing. All right, let's get back on track. So some of the choices that you just made were more like preferences than they were life choices. Um, But each day, we, we make a lot of choices every day. You just chose one thing over another. Did any of you match 100% of all the answers? You guys did. Wow. Stand up. Give them an applause. Wow. You guys must be related. Are you related? You are, of course. That's cheating. That's cheating. That's not good. (laughs) So, okay. So by definition, a choice is our ability to make a decision when presented with two or more options. All right, say that again. A choice is our ability to make decisions 
when presented with two or more options. So you've just proven to yourself and to witnesses <laughs> that you as an, as an individual has the ability to make decisions and choices on your own without the influence of anyone else. Okay. However, we all have different stories. We all come from different backgrounds. And every human being sees life through a different filter based on our upbringing, our education, our cultures, our life experiences. You may have heard the story of 10 men that are closely... They, they found this gray elephant. And they decided to each stand around this elephant. And the elephant was huge. So these 10 men are all standing around this elephant very closely. And when someone asked them, well, what does the elephant look like? He looks like a giant ear. And the other one's like, no, he doesn't. He looks like a toenail. And the other one's like, no, it's long and skinny. He's got this incredible long trunk. It's not long at all. It's like this little short thing with hair at the end, like it's a tail. You know? So each one was right to a certain extent, right? But they didn't have the bigger picture, did they? They didn't have the bigger picture. They were focusing only on what was in their view. And I think life can be like that elephant sometimes. We make a judgment based on what's in our view and what's happening in our life and think everyone else in the world has to live our way. That would be a nice life to live, I think. <laughs> But it's fantasy. It doesn't really exist. Christianity can be a light like that too. It's good to expand your view sometime. Take a walk around the elephant. Because there's lots of different outworkings of what God does. Outside of a denominational wall, outside of a, a particular city, outside of a particular nation. It's incredible. And I've had an, the incredible privilege of speaking in uniting churches and Catholic churches and Pentecostal churches that I thought, wow, I thought, wow, this is really different, you know? And, and, and even in, in clubs and in prisons and in places that you can't or not allowed to speak the truth of God's word. So there's a whole world outside of your world. And just remember that because... Other people have different views, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't like you <laughs> or that they're rejecting you. It's just that they have a different view. So how many choices have you th do you think you made since breakfast this morning? Who says 10? Who says 100? All right. Since you woke up, since you woke up, you decided what time to get out of bed, how many times to s shut the snooze button off. You chose whether you were going to wear these jeans or that thing or you, what kind of makeup or not, if you're going to shower or not, if you're going to put those shoes on or not, these are more comfortable. Like, you have made so many choices just to get to here. Even for breakfast, what did you eat? And if you went to, you know, to a place for breakfast and you had the menu and they've got all these options. Like, we are living in a world that is just full of options. I remember when I first moved to Australia in 1989, we're going back a little ways, but I came from New York to Hopper's Crossing. <laughs> now, in New York, you've got a million and one things happening at one time. Hopper's Crossing, you had one thing happening, and everyone was there. <laughs> and everyone knew everyone in Hopper's Crossing. So it was quite a culture shock. But, I'm, you know, if you had to pay a bill, you just went to the shop, paid cash, 
or wrote out a bank check. Today, direct debit, PayPal, BPay, snap it, zap it, take your phone. You know, there's like a hundred different ways that you can pay a bill or you can even go on a payment plan if you want to. So those options are getting more and more and more. And I think our children and our children's children are getting really overwhelmed with the number of choices that they can make on any given day. Because now it's right here on their phone. The whole world is right here on our phone. Where before we had to get on a ship to go from one country to another, and then an airplane, and then the airplane started with many different airlines, and then you know, now we have super jets, and they're saying that now we could go from Melbourne direct to New York in 19 hours next year. In one plane, yes! <laughs> it's good, it's good news. But you know, we have a choice. What do you do in your free time? You could choose hundreds of different apps, or if you, if you have the internet, you could go on YouTube and watch any number of videos. You can, Christian Satellite TV, I worked for God TV for many years, and um, we had, I had the privilege of God was just opening up doors for us to get God TV into prisons, where 10,000 prisoners now have access to God TV in the privacy of their own cell. There's no way I could have gone into 10,000 prison cells um, in some of the prisons, they wouldn't even let Christians come in um, because of things that had happened in the past, and, and some Christians got a little abusive in, in some ways. All in the name of Jesus, right? Um, but it's true. So, so it, the internet can be used for good things, and it can get the gospel into places like Mulan, which is an Aboriginal community in the middle of nowhere. If you think, if I think Kerrang is in the middle of nowhere, I mean, this is populated compared to Mulan, which had about one. 100 people population and it's like this little speck in the middle of nowhere with nothing around for hundreds of kilometers and the only way they could get things in and out was at this little jet and God made a way for that whole town to become baptized and saved because of God TV channel being put there and a satellite network it's just incredible what happens so we're living in this unprecedented age of options the choices that we make are much more significant than we think. The choices we are making on a day-to-day basis are much more significant than we think. I mean, my parents are in their late 80s now, and my mom used to say all the time, you know, the older you get, the faster the time goes. And I used to say all that, 24 hours in a clock, mom, you know, come on. But <laughs> it's true. <laughs> It's true. I feel like it was just yesterday when you contacted me. It was October of last year, right? I mean, that was just, it's gone so quick. So we need to be more intentional about the choices you're making so that the end of your life will be one where you can look back with no regrets. Right from the beginning of time as we know it, God has been making choices too. He chose to create the world. He chose to create mankind. He chose the Israelites to be his special people. Um, Of all the people on the face of the earth, he chose Israel. He chose the prophets to speak on his behalf. He chose tribes and families to represent him. He chose kings and leaders of nations, and he still does. The word says that he puts people in authority over nations. He chose men and women to do his will, to bring about victories and wars, and to win battles. And he chose one city, one of all the cities in all the world, he chose Jerusalem 
to, be, to put his name there. He chose Zion, which are the Gentiles and the Jewish people together as one. He chose Zion to be his dwelling place. That's us. God chose us to be his dwelling place. This is nice because it keeps us warm on a cold day. But this building is not the church. You are the church, according to the word of God. We are the church. People are the church. We are a temple of God. It's so easy to throw and to roll off the scripture verses that we memorized. But when you really put them into practice and say, wait a minute, I'm a temple of God. Well, I better stop smoking. I would never walk into this building with some graffiti spray paint and spray all over the walls, right? And you wouldn't either. But what do we do with our own bodies? We're temples of the living God, right? We need to take care of ourselves, look in that mirror and go, you are beautiful. You are amazing. God created you and he wants to live in you. His spirit is in us. We say it. But stop and think about it. Just sit there with that for a while. That the God who created... Last night, I walked along the river here, and I, t- I was in tears because he just provided this amazing sunset. You know? And I said, I'm special. You did it just for me. <laughs> you know? He did. I think, anyway. But he does incredible things for us. And he chose us. He chose you. Of all the women in the world, he chose you to carry his name, to carry his presence. He chose you. Every choice that God makes and every choice that he has made has been intentional to serve a specific purpose. Every choice was made with the end in mind, an end that was already completed before the beginning of time, it says. Because God is the beginning and the end. He knows the end of your story. He knows everything that you're going through. He sees you and he's with you. You don't ever have to pray, God be with us. He already is. That's like saying, oh, I wish we could have Diane here as a speaker. I'm here. (laughs) I'm here. Don't but God be with them. If they're Christians, God is already with them. The better prayer is, God, make us aware that you're with us. Make us aware of your presence because it changes the responsibility. Puts it back on us rather than on God. God, you be with them. Let's kind of put the responsibility over there instead of saying, no, God, you're with me. Make me aware of your presence. It's very different. Are your choices leading you to become more Christ-like, more like Christ, or are your choices leading you to become more like the culture or the traditions, or the world around you? That's a really important question to resolve. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, God says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I've set before you life and death, kind of like the game this or that. God invented it. (laughs) Life and death, blessing and cursing, and then he gave the answer. That's how much he loves us. He said, now choose life. Why choose life? So that both you and your descendants may live. He tells us to choose life. He says, I'm not going to force you because I'm not the kind of God that's abusive that's going to say, you have to do this. And he's not up there somewhere looking down trying to punish us. You know, He just says, here's the choices. 
Life or death, choose life. We're not puppets on God's string. We don't have to do, have to do it because some man-made rule or regulation says we have to. Okay? Let God lead you. Let God lead you. Let his word lead you. Let his spirit lead you. He is a loving father. He's a loving God. He's the one true God who was and is and is to come. He's the God whom one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Everyone. Everyone. No matter how far your prodigal sons or daughters are. Trust God. It hurts. It's painful. But trust him. Trust him and pray. Get on that warrior outfit and get into that prayer room and pray and fast and have others pray, okay? And trust God. Trust God. We don't have to serve God. We get to. I get to. It's an absolute privilege to serve God, the God who created the trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything. He's chosen you. And he said, you want to have... You want to go ride a roller coaster? <laughs> yeah? Come on a journey with me. And it's incredible. It's an incredible privilege. In Psalm 119.30, we see that even David, we hear stories of David in the Bible. Well, David was a mighty man. He was strong. He was, he was a warrior. But even David had to choose. In verse 30, it says, I have chosen the way of truth. He said, your judgments, O God, have laid before me. David had many good choices that he made, and he made some pretty bad choices with Bathsheba and killing someone else, and he became a murderer. But each and every time, he kept coming back and repenting and going back to God. And that's why he's called the man after God's own heart, because he just never gave up on God, no matter what he went through. On the other hand, in Jeremiah chapter 8, we read sadly of the people of Judah They chose death. They chose to worship the sun, the moon, and the stars instead of the God who created the sun, the moon, and the stars. They were a people living sinful lives by choice. And they were deceiving themselves into thinking that their choices didn't really matter. It doesn't matter. It's just me. Like, what, what difference does it make if I go and smoke a joint or have some cocaine or drink myself into oblivion? No one's going to know. What difference does it make? And that one thought can lead you, that one choice, I should say, can lead you down the spiral that you just have no... It, it's v- the more choices you make that in that direction, the further down you go. The choices we make are more significant than we think. We're going to watch a quick um, video clip, if we can. It's just a couple of minutes long. So I'll just, I'll just tell you a little bit about what you're going to see. So Max McLean is the gentleman that will be speaking in the video. He's a Christian actor. He works in Hollywood. And he's the founder and the artistic director of a group called the Fellowship for Performing Arts. He's a New York City-based producer of live theater from a Christian worldview. So he, he takes... Um, plays and books and he puts them into into plays in new york and it's it, he's got an incredible ministry people get saved watching his um his his performances it's just brilliant um he's talking in this video about c.s lewis everyone here of c.s lewis he wrote a book called the screw tape letters 
So it's, a, it's an old Christian classic. If you don't know what the book is about, screw tape represents evil. Screw tape represents a demon. Okay, you could play the, the, the clip. Yeah, there's, there's, there's so many things in screw tape that are impactful, but I think the, the overarching thing that uh, has, uh, has stayed with me uh, and, and one of the overarching things that, that I want the audience to take away with them is the importance of our choices. That we make dozens, if not hundreds, of little choices every single day. And they matter. They matter. Lewis says, I believe in mere Christianity, that every time we make a choice, that central part of us, the part that chooses, changes just a little bit and after if after a course of a in through the course of a lifetime the innumerable choices that we make day in and day out that central part of us that chooses is slowly becoming either a heavenly creature or a hellish creature and it depends on the choices you make and of course the choices we make are dependent on what we're being influenced by, who we're talking to, what we read, uh, how, how, how our prayer life, our, our, uh, our worship life. Uh, are we being fed by the Holy Spirit or are we being fed by screw tape? Uh, I, I'm thinking about anytime you watch the news and you hear of these extraordinary, horrible events, um, of bad people doing bad things. We're only seeing the end result. There were so many choices over years of time that were, that just continued on the same vein. It was never stopped. It was never looked at. And it continued on and all we see is the end result. And we're capable of that. And to some degree, uh, we, we have areas in our lives that need to stop. Because if we continue this way, it's going to ruin us, it's going to disable us, at least our spirit, in such a way that we're not going to be all that God has in mind for us to be. And I think that screw tape helps us to see that. Some very good points in there. Um, that each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other either a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Now, that sounds pretty harsh, and, but I'm not going to apologize for it because it's exactly the reality that I faced um, just 25 years ago. Um, I stood at a crossroad, and I had to choose which way my life was going to end. I grew up in Queens, New York, if you haven't already heard, um, if you've seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, anybody see that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Well, yeah. So if you take out the Greek and you add the Godfather, which is the Italian-American Sicilian, yeah, that's, and you put them together, that is the, a really good picture of the family that I grew up in. Okay, we had a little bit of all of it. And um, it's still like that. It's still a bit crazy. Sicilian-American Catholic influences... Um, uh, it was a great life. Look, my family growing up, family was at the center of everything we did. It's the family. Family comes first, you know, and nothing else. Um, and just beautiful food, homemade wine, just 
um, lots and lots of celebrations. I look back at that time growing up and really have some incredibly fond memories and funny memories um, growing up. But hidden deep behind the mask of the perfect family was a dark secret, um, a secret that only me and only one other person knew. Um, for at least seven years um, in grammar school, when I was, you know, in um, the first couple of years of school, um, I was being sexually abused by the man who lived just across the road from me. And he was my dad's best friend. When my parents, who knew nothing about the abuse, um, decided to move away from Queens to Long Island, closer to the Hamptons, if you've heard where that is, um, I was just 14 years old. And I thought at that point that the nightmare had finished. I was so grateful that we were leaving because by that point I was so emotionally numb um, and it was regular abuse. But the truth was the nightmare had only just begun for me. You see, the hidden seeds of that abuse grew into years of addictions um, to alcohol, to cocaine and other drugs um, to numb the pain. I just used it to numb the pain so I didn't have to think about who I was or what had happened or to have the flashbacks. And the choices that I made because of that, chose, I chose some things that were really making all the abuse, which was bad enough, even worse. And I started this pattern of choosing things that didn't lead me to healing but led me further and further into trauma. So I, at the same time, I was working my way up the corporate ladder in New York City. Um, the drug scene was very prominent, it still is, and I would, I would say that there are more drug addicts in corporate suits and in corporate offices than there are on the street, because um, I've worked with both. But um, there's a lot of people who are very rich in our sense of the word, um, have a lot of money or who are in CEO positions, carrying a lot of weight and a lot of pressure to keep the business going, to keep employees happy, to keep insurances, and on and on and on. And then they come home and they got all the issues at family, and, and there's no place for them. And then they go to church, and all church wants is their money. You know? And it's this, it's this constant triangle which gets smaller and smaller and smaller for them. But it's really tough to get out and to break out of that cycle. But behind the mask of this amazing career, I worked for Mattel, Barbie dolls, yes. I was on the design team. I'm a bit of an artist, so God given me this creative gift. And I used, it, I used it to create accessories for Barbie dolls. You know, the kitchens and the horses and the cars and the, all of that. So this was back when Barbie was Barbie. Um, she's a little bit less in the forefront now with all of the, unless she's on a computer screen. But um, behind this incredible career, um, which I was in for 14 years and traveled all over the world, and it was just amazing to live in this Barbie world. Um, uh, my family thought I was, you know, I was God because I had made it in New York City. You know, it was ridiculous. But behind that mask, I was secretly using abortion as birth control. And I was secretly having suicidal thoughts, and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to where to put it or where to go for help. And I certainly couldn't talk to my parents about any of it because they didn't know anything about the abuse or what had happened to me. So from the outside, I looked polished. I looked like a corporate woman who had made it. 
And then I married an Aussie, and that was the same year, coincidentally, I didn't know it, that Crocodile Dundee came out in New York. <laughs> now I really made it, because now, you, where'd you find the Australian guy? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know? And so we got married, for all the wrong reasons, and this mask of this you know, really incredible woman was just a mask. It was a facade. And I was getting harder and harder for me to keep that, that image up because behind that mask, there was so much darkness. Unknowingly, every day during those years, I call that my other life, um, I was making decisions that were leading me further and further away from God and further and further into this hellish existence that he refers to. Then I realized, you know, how I wish, looking back, that I would have heard someone like me speaking the hard truth about the choices we were making in church at that time. How I wish, now days are different, I would have gone to church and heard somebody talking about, if you're abused, you're not a filthy rag in front of God's eyes. He actually loves you. But I didn't hear that message at all. I heard condemnation. I heard messages of, you know, you've got to get it right, you know, before you come to God. You know, that's like going fishing and cleaning the fish before you fish. Like, like it doesn't work, right? God catches the fish, and then you clean the fish, right? And, and it's the same with us. Like, he doesn't expect us to be perfect. No one is perfect except for his son. How great it would be to walk into a church and just be able to say, hey, something terrible's happened to me without any shame and without any condemnation. That's the way it was intended to be. And that's the way we need to kind of move, keep pushing that, keep pushing that and pushing that because the world out there is full of abuse and it's full of addictions and it's full of people who have been through trauma. And when they come into church, this should be the one place where they are accepted no matter what they look like, no matter how many body piercings, no matter how many tattoos. They should be accepted here because Jesus accepts them. When my son Alex was born, so I'm married, I've got a three-year-old, and my son Alex was only eight weeks old, and he contacted whooping cough and double pneumonia. He had stopped breathing twice. We took him into hospital. He was in intensive care unit for two months, um, grilled by the infectious disease specialists, um, seeing some of the pictures that Deanna um, showed earlier um, really was just triggering some stuff for me, and I just went, wow, yeah, I get it. Mine was only a two-month thing. I can't imagine going through what I went through longer than that. But I remember the doctors coming in and telling us that Alex was not going to make it through the night. And they prepared us by giving us a little grief packet, and they, they, I still have it at home in his keepsake box. Um, and it was a little thing about, you know, if you need, a, a, it's a small group for parents who have lost their children and said that, you know, this is who you should contact in that case. And I remember getting down on my knees in the hospital room and crying out, God, if you're real, um, take my life. I was, I was using drugs. I was out of control. I was trying to keep it all together. And I was headed 100 kilometers an hour towards the proverbial brick wall, you know, and, and no one else knew. No one else knew. So I cried out, and I just said, I'm not fit to be a mother. I don't want to live anymore. Please, just take my life. Take my son's life. And the only way that I can describe what happened next was that this blanket of peace 
um, I, st- I still can't talk about it without getting choked up, but this blanket of peace just came over me. And I was lying there on the hospital room floor, and my cheek was up against the cold tiles, I remember. And you hear the beep, beep, beep of all the machines going. And um, all I knew was that everything was going to be okay and that God was with me. That's all I knew. I didn't know it was God, or I didn't sit there and have this conversation or anything. It was like one minute I wanted to die, and the next minute I knew everything was going to be okay, and I had this incredible peace, and I fell asleep on the floor. And just as I, it felt like just as I fell asleep, I had no idea. It was the following morning. The door crashed open, and doctors and nurses came in, And I jumped up off the floor, I leapt up to my feet, and I saw this African-American nurse holding my son, and she's yelling out, praise the Lord, Jesus healed your son, praise the Lord. The doctors are yelling at her, stop it, stop it. I'm yelling at her, what are you talking about? And there was all this commotion going on, and she just kept insisting, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, and, and Alex was asleep, so I thought he had died. Okay, and because he wasn't on the respirator and he was out of his little incubator. But three days later, all glory to God, three days later, I took him home completely healed. Pneumonia gone, whooping cough gone. He's now a 25-year-old jazz drummer. (laughs) Okay. Um, It dumbfounded the specialist. It dumbfounded the doctors. One even said it was a miracle. Now, you've got to understand where I was at. For me, because of the abuse that I'd been through, because of the drugs, because of the lifestyle, the promiscuity, all the married men I'd slept with, all the other men I'd slept with, just this, this um, absolutely destructive kind of lifestyle, I was convinced that God was punishing me because that's what I learned or took, that's what I took away from the teachings in Catholic school, that God was going to punish you. And my dad was always saying things like, if you don't do that right, God's watching you, you know? And it was like this, ah. So I was convinced that God was a judgmental God. And I couldn't reconcile this, well, why would he heal my son? Why would he heal me? And what I realized was that in a split, in a matter of a week of getting him home and then, you know, having this whole confusion in my life about what, who God was and what did that really happen? Was it really God? Or was it the medicine? Or was it, what was it? Um, it took a while for me to realize that I went to light a cigarette and choked. I couldn't smoke anymore. And every time I went to get a drink and drank, I vomited. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I think I'm healed of these addictions too. And realized only later, when it was explained to me that God could heal like that, um, that I had been set free from all of the addictions in my life. It's not always the case, and I've now worked with many people who are, um, have addictions and things in their life that it's not a one-time thing. And to be honest, it, is, it was a one-time deliverance, but I've had to maintain it by making choices every day. Every day, still. I still have to use that self-control, right, and learn discipline to keep reminding myself that if I go, I know what I'm capable of because I've been there. I know that if I start heading down that path, it's going to be a slippery slope. So is it really possible to choose joy? Can you choose 
joy when you're going through hell? Can you? I believe you can. I believe you can. I believe that I'm living proof that, that God is who he says he is in the word. And you are who he says you are in the word. And somehow those two things come together. And he can bring that healing. He'll bring you on a journey. We can't keep living the same way, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. We'll, it's, we'll give others that advice. But it's hard for us to take it ourselves. Once we surrender our life to Jesus, we no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in us. And we're to do things his way if we choose, because God won't force us. I remember hearing Joyce Meyer say this, we don't have to think the thoughts you think. And I thought, that's rubbish. <laughs> and she kept saying it, you don't have to think the thoughts you think. You know, and I'm like, oh, really? Until I tried to test that out. And one day when I was really miserable, I started going, no, this is, this is bad, this is bad, oh, this is bad. And I'm hearing myself, did you ever stop and listen to what you're thinking? Wow, if we had tape recorders or if we had recorders of what we think, we would, we would say, oh, we would start giving that person counseling. <laughs> you know? I, had, I saw a little thing once that said, um, I didn't know bullies existed until I heard what I was thinking about myself. You know, we, we would never put up with somebody bullying someone else. Why do we bully ourselves? We look in the mirror and we say some horrible stuff about ourselves. Start to become aware of what you're thinking because those thoughts are actually going to lead you to the choices that you're making. If I'm thinking I'm horrible uh, and, a, and a terrible person, then I'm going to start making choices toward that direction. If I'm looking at myself and thinking and saying, hey, I do have the ability to stop what I'm thinking and to think about something else. If you imagine your mind is like a garden of rich, fertile soil and your thoughts are the seeds, you get to choose what seeds you plant in your garden every day. Now, the thoughts may come up, but we get to choose what to do with them. In your anger, do not sin. It's not saying don't feel because for too many years of my life, I was emotionally frozen. I had to learn what it meant to feel again. Okay, so that's not what God is saying. God's not saying walk around numb. Okay, he's saying, I gave you feelings. I gave you emotions. But you have to be careful what you do with them. It doesn't give you permission, if you're feeling angry, to go punch someone and knock them out. Okay, in your anger, do not sin. All right, but you can plant things that are good and true and noble and loving and kind and gentle. Or you can plant unforgiveness. You can plant bitterness. You can plant hatred. You can plant division. I'm never talking to them again. That's a seed you start planting. I'm tired, to be quite frankly, of hearing Christians. I've done 25 years now of Christian ministry in many different places. I'm tired of hearing Christians blaming the enemy. They blame the devil. Well, they even blame life. What, what is life? Life is what we make it in a lot of ways, right? We blame everything else except taking responsibility for our own actions and for the choices that we're making or what we're allowing in our lives or in our families. God wants us to take that responsibility. 
We have the authority in Christ over the enemy. The enemy has no say in my life because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. And so are you. Now, that doesn't mean things won't happen. Okay? But it means that whenever the fiery darts come, shield of faith. Yeah? That's what it means to put on the armor. It means we have to do something about it. It's not good just saying the verses in here in this building on a Sunday unless you're going to live it out. Put on that, that breastplate. Put on. So as children of God, we are to put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of life. We're to put on the new self to be like God. We're to put on the full armor of God. Over all of these things, it says to put, we're commanded to put on love. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's a choice. Those verses are written in the Bible, but if we don't do them, they'll just sit there in the Bible. And I've come to the conclusion that the more I do the word of God, the more I'm allowing Jesus to live through me. I'm becoming more Christ-like in allowing his word to match my actions And it allows his spirit to come and give strength to those actions. Yeah? Do not fear. But I'm afraid. Do not fear. I'm afraid, God. Let it come in. Choose the actions that will move you away from that fear. All right? God's word never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's word says that if I believed in Jesus, if I repented, if I'm forgiven, right? Then I am a new creation. I'm clean. It says that God is close to the brokenhearted. He he's saves those who are crushed in spirit. Right? He does. He absolutely does. But it also says that if I do not forgive, what? God won't forgive us. It also says that I'm to pray for my enemies. When was the last time you went into a prayer meeting and go, yeah, let's pray for our enemies today? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's not on a lot of prayer lists that I see anyway. (laughs) It says that we're to take off the filthy rags of sin and put on Christ, that we're to live a life worthy of our calling. Wow, we kind of put those verses on the side because they're a little bit harder to do. They're hard to do because our flesh constantly wars with our spirit, right? We're called to be doers of the word, not just readers of the word, or not just studiers of the word, or not just hearers of the word. We're called to be doers of the word. And the more you do, the more you will see incredible things happen. Because God makes a way where there seems to be no way. And I'm not saying that it's an easy path. It's a narrow road for a reason. Because a lot of people jump off it. Because it gets hard. But in the hard we have strength. In our weakness, we have him to carry us through. I believe the body of Christ worldwide is standing at a crossroad. I really do. I believe we're living in a, in a time where maybe 20, 25 years from now, the Christians then will be looking back at this time and say, that's where it shifted. That's where. You know, we've had reformations in the past. I think we are living in a time of, of, where the church is uh, making decisions about whether they will stay true to the word of God and live it out or whether they're going to redefine it 
redefine the word of God and make it much more pleasing to the culture around us. It's a dangerous time. I think the church across denominations is moving center stage. God's shining his light on it. In a lot of ways, you know, there's some government leaders recently that have proclaimed their nations to be nations for Jesus Christ. Not for God, for Jesus Christ. And they're taking a beating for it, but praise God. Come on, there's going to be more and more that are going to be, we're going to be pushed into that place where we have to use a lot of courage to speak the truth because potentially we could die. You know, it's happening in the world. It's just not happening here. But it's happening out there. Many believers are leaving churches that no longer line up with God's word. And rightly so. Rightly so. They should. There's gross immorality and abuse that's being exposed behind some denominational walls. I see that as God's light shining on it, saying, enough. Don't keep using my name if this is what's happening. It's not new. It happened in the Old Testament. Ezekiel was shown what they were doing at the temple, and there was an abomination. But there is a hunger for truth. There's a hunger in believers for more of God. I want to see, when I read the book of Acts, I want to see it happening. I, and I've experienced some. I've experienced a little tiny taste. But I'm pushing in for more. It's time for us who carry the truth to arise, to shine, for the glory of the Lord is upon you. The glory of the Lord is upon you. Arise, come out. It's going to be tough, but stand up for your faith. Stand up for what you believe in. The glory of the Lord is upon you. We've got to take our stand in the midst of darkness, and no matter what's going on in our lives, we can, we can be honest, and I appreciate the way Deanna shared this morning, so real, about the struggles. You know, if more of us talked about our struggles, you know what we'd realize? We've all got struggles, right? And it would be much easier for us to go for help because we wouldn't be ashamed. So keep pushing that boundary a little bit. If you have a struggle, share it with somebody that you trust. Go to them and say, hey, I need to talk, you know, or get some help. Don't stay in that place. God never wanted you to live that way. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to church. We are required to be in community. We need fellowship. We need the iron, sharpening iron, right? To keep each other from falling away, to make some good choices. We need each other. But what I am saying is that sometimes we have a very narrow view of what church is. And I just want to encourage you to reach out a little bit further. Look a little bit more at what the Holy Spirit would want you to do with your gifts and your talents, right? In painting more. You know, we had, do you mind if I use you as an example? Something incredible happened here on the stage today that you might not have even noticed. But there was a woman who got up here today scared, frightened, and shaking because she never sang in front of people with a microphone. But she did it because God's calling her to do it. Yay! Yes. And she should be doing it more and more. And we need to be encouraging each other to do the thing that God is calling us to do, even though it's difficult. You know, we have another singer back there. She's not going to get away with it either. (laughs) Who's a little anxious about singing. She's got an amazing gift on her life. 
And we as women need to encourage that gift to bring it out. Now, I had women in my life when I was called to go into prison ministry because I certainly did not put my hand up from the corporate world in New York City and say, hey, send me, God, I want to go to the prisons. No, no, that's not how it happened. I actually got pulled over because I was looking for, I was going on a job interview in Malmesbury, up at Mount Macedon, if you know where that is, and um, I was going for an admin assistant job in a TAFE school, and I couldn't find the school, and I went up and down this dirt road with no signs because I was lost, and the police pulled me over and said, you do realize that you're on prison property? And I said, I did just that. I said, what? And back then, my New York accent was a lot stronger, so we say what. It's not offensive in New York to say what, like you say pardon, well, pardon me, Australians say pardon me. We say what? So I said what? And he said, get out of the car. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And the next thing you know, they're frisking me and I'm saying, no, I have, I have an interview. I'm going to be late for the interview. I'm going on a job interview. It's at a TAFE school. I can't find it. He said, well, you're on prison property. If you have an appointment, we'll take you and we'll escort you there. He didn't believe me. So that's how I got the job, with two police officers escorting me. (laughs) True story, true story. And it wasn't until that night when I went home and I said to my then husband, I said, you're not going to believe this. He said, did you get the job? I said, yeah, I got the job. I said, guess where it is? He goes, it's in Malmesbury. I said, yes, in a prison. He goes, what? And I said, yeah, it's in, it's in Malmesbury Juvenile Justice Center. I said, there's 65 young men. And I began sobbing. And I couldn't stop crying. And I didn't understand why. And that night, I went into my little prayer room. And I said, God, what is this? I, am I crying because I really don't want to work in the prison? <laughs> am I crying because I'm in Malmesbury and I'm <laughs> still overcoming all the move? And am I, why am I crying? And it was all of a sudden, I just got this revelation. Uh-oh. And it was um, that, that same compassion that Jesus had when he turned, when he was hanging on the cross, and there was a criminal next to him. And he said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. That same compassion I felt like this tiny bit of what Jesus must have felt. But I still have that. He planted that inside me. And he, he encouraged me to share my story of abuse. Because I had another crossroad in my life where I had, to, um, I had to forgive the man that abused me. I didn't want to. Nothing in me wanted to. But I knew that if I didn't, then I just knew that I'd be giving the people that I would be ministering to me instead of giving them Jesus. I'd be giving them all of my rage, all of my unforgiveness, my bitterness, and all of the other negative emotions that are stuffed down, instead of giving them hope that they can be healing and that you can be set free from that trauma. And I, but I had to go on the journey first, and I had to do it. And it was just an incredible journey that was not easy. It was not easy at all. But, um, but I stand here today and tell you that after a one-year journey of saying, my pastor told me all you need to do is just pray. Just pray one prayer for him a day. And I couldn't even do that. 
to start with. I didn't want to. I was like, why should I pray for him? I'm the one who's saved now. I'm the Christian now. (laughs) Why should I pray for him? And the truth was that um, when I did start praying, God changed my heart. God changed my heart. And by the time I got to pick up the phone to call him, um, it it really was a miraculous thing because I couldn't get any words out when I heard his voice after all those years. But I allowed the Holy Spirit to just take over. And I said, I can't do this. You've got to do this. And what wound up coming out was that I wound up preaching the gospel to him and telling him that the blood of Jesus, if it forgave me and saved me from all of my addiction and all of my pain, it certainly would save him. And I couldn't even believe what was coming out of my mouth as it was coming out. And I had a friend, a dear friend with me, that was um, listening to the whole conversation, and she's going, oh, just read the letter, because I had written a letter that, read the letter, she's going, read the letter, and I'm going, I didn't didn't even remember what I was saying. But I was telling him about the, the blood and the cross of Jesus, and how he too can be saved. And, um, I remember hanging up and just getting down on my knees and just going, praise God. It was like this, this huge weight just lifted off of me. And, um, it was from that point on, I didn't know it that night, but that night propelled me into a ministry of speaking the truth and preaching the gospel to people that most people will say don't deserve it. Transsexuals who have had surgeries and um, prisoners who have murdered their children and, and pedophiles. I remember the general manager of the maximum security men's prison coming up to me and saying, Diane, I, I don't know what you're doing. I, I, I don't know how you're getting these men at Port Phillip Prison to come to your programs. We can't get them to sign up for a single thing. And you guys, somehow, you start a program, and now all of a sudden there's 12 guys, and you've got a waiting list. What are you doing? The only answer I had was, it's the God factor. <laughs> It's the God factor. We've got the God factor. I don't know. I said, there's nothing I'm doing that is going to make these men want to come to class. Nothing. But it's the God factor. I said, we pray. No, but really, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, well, God is already in the prison. It says in the Bible, you know, I was in prison and you came to visit me. Right? It's the best line, I remember a group of them was sitting in a meeting. It was the commissioner of Melbourne was there and two general managers of two different prisons. And the topic was, I had put in an application to allow Bibles in the libraries of the prisons because they weren't allowed up till that time. And um, so the debate went kind of like this. You know that Bibles are not allowed in the prison. We're not allowed to proselytize in the state of Victoria because um, to proselytize means to convert someone to your faith, okay? Because the prisoners are vulnerable. And I sat there and I said, and, and then someone else said, well, you know, and they probably wouldn't understand it anyway. Now, I had been praying and we had a whole bunch of people praying for this meeting because it was a, a crossroads. We were either going to get Bibles in the prisons or not, Okay? And I was pushing for it. Now, if you're a qualified chaplain in a Bible, you could give a Bible out. Okay? But we weren't qualified chaplains. And we wanted more access to, for any prisoner to be able to get um, a Bible. So I said, well, can I speak? 
Yes. And secretly, my heart is racing. I'm sweating. And I'm going, Holy Spirit, you better give me a word. You better give me something now. Now would be good. Now would be really good. And what comes out? Did you know that most of the Bible was written by prisoners? Moses and David were murderers. Jesus' great, 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 I don't know how many greats, grandmother was a prostitute. Paul was in prison. As a matter of fact, Jesus was in prison too. So a book about prisoners that was written by prisoners for prisoners, why wouldn't you have it in a prison? (laughs) Yay, God! (laughs) There's no way I could have come up with that answer. (laughs) There's no way. To this day, there's Bibles in prisons now. So... Praise God. I'm telling you, like, if you step out and you just, one day at a time, where would you have me today, God? Well, go up to Kerrang. Okay, well, somebody's going to benefit from this story, not because it's my story, but because God needed my story to connect with your story because we're one body. And it's like this thumb is talking to this forefinger and this hand is talking to this elbow and we all have the stories and they connect. So... I've done, God has used me to do incredible things in the men's prisons, the women's prisons, the juvenile prisons. It's been 12 years of working in the prison system. Um, At the same time, I've also worked with God TV, um, which is a Christian satellite television program and um, channel, I should say, um, overseeing all of their missions. And as I said before, now 10,000 prisoners have access to God TV. But the best part about that story is that... um, they, they started writing letters, the prisoners, and some of them are even sending a tithe of their money. Now, if you know that, that in prison they get $8 a week, so you get like a check for 80 cents. <laughs> 80 cents to them is a lot. But to get a check or a mail order, you know what they have? Do you know what a prisoner has to do to get a mail order? It takes about a month. They have to put in applications after applications. They don't get money, there's no money exchanged in a prison so it's all done by applications and it really takes a lot to get that one check you know and but it's not even that it's just the hearts of the prisoners are changing and I think it doesn't matter whether you're a prisoner in prison or you're a prisoner in your own living room mentally emotionally the blood of Jesus was shed for you so that you can be set free from that I chose Christ over all, and I followed the spirit where he led me. He just happened to lead me into some very strange places. And I'm kind of nervous because I'm in a transition period now, and I don't know what's coming next. But, um, but I know that I'm just going to continue the journey until he calls me to do whatever it is that he wants me to. There's a man named John Vanier, and I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a wonderful man who's had an incredible ministry. He recently um, died. But it says that we're not called by God to do extraordinary things, but to do ordinary things with extraordinary love. When we love and respect people, because that's what God does, God never said, oh, I want you to go to this denomination and this church and do this and do this. And No, that's the law. Done. Jesus came to get rid of that. What he said was love one another. Love one another. Respect each other. Every person in your church community should be respected because they're made in the image of God. Because they were knit together in their mother's womb. They were made for a time such as this. 
And we need to be living that out much more so as Christians. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, um, the message translation, I like this version of it. And this should be our view also. He said, I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message, the word of God. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. And I don't know if that describes you, but um, I, wasn't, I didn't do very good in school. <laughs> I never liked being talked at. But I loved getting into the word of God and going, hey, this might be the right way. And I think I'm going to stop doing some of this. I think I'm going to forgive when I don't want to forgive. I think I'm going to give and be generous when I have nothing left. I'm going to give my last bit because I know that if I give, then I'm taking one more step in that right direction. I think I'm going to give so that someone else and their needs can be met and let God take care of my needs. You know, you just go through the scriptures. There's so much that you can pick and do, but do one thing. Live the word. Let Jesus live through you. Have your own testimony of what God's doing. It doesn't matter your age, whether you're in teenage years or whether you're in your 90s. God still needs us. He needs every single one of us in the places that we're at to do what he's called us to do. So in closing, um, joy doesn't come from following a bunch of traditions or rules or regulations. Joy comes when you let God's joy, Jesus, live through you and live in you. There's nothing better than being a true apostle of Jesus Christ, really, of being his representative. You are God's representative on earth. Not too much responsibility. (laughs) Yeah, but you are. You are his ambassador. When you leave here today, you've, you, you know, God has set this day aside for you women to come together. I don't know if you realize how unique this is, that you're not all from this church, that you, that whoever the pastor is of this church, I just want to honor him for allowing that to happen because that's unusual. That's unusual. Usually, um, unless it's a big, big, you know, big mega conference or something where people are coming from all over, um, they don't, you know, allow different denominations to mingle. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening right in Melbourne. I'm telling you, it happens in Geelong as well. This is our church, and that's their church, and let them do their thing. And oh, so and so is not going there anymore. They're coming to our church. It's not your church. That's what I say. It's not your church. It's God's church. You know, so don't take this for granted. It's a really special thing that you have here because it is the body of Christ. And it's, it's good stuff. It's great to see. It's great to see. So stay on the narrow path and stay connected to the vine. It's not an easy road. You know that. You know there's going to be suffering. It comes with persecution, the word says. But so what? We're in good company. So I want to close by encouraging you today. Would you please stand? First of all, thank you for listening. <laughs> if you, don't, you don't have to stand. That's fine. You can listen. I just want to tell you something as a sister in the Lord. Okay? And hear my heart in this. Don't quit before your miracle happens. Don't quit 
before your miracle happens. Never give up. Never give up, no matter how hard it gets. And if it's getting too hard for you, the word says that we're to share the burden of someone else. Make sure you talk to someone. If you can't share the whole story of what's going on in your life, just say, say that. Just say, I can't give you all the details, but I need help. Let's help each other through this. Yeah, don't quit before your miracle happens. Keep believing. Keep believing. Don't go down that other narrow, that wider path. Oh, well, maybe God's given up on me. No, he hasn't because the word of God says he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. No matter how hard it gets, no matter what you have to face, he's with you. He was with you. He was dying on the cross in suffering in that way for you. Keep believing. Keep praying. Your prayers are so much more powerful than you think. Your prayers change lives. Your prayers change the course of what's happening right here in this city. Keep praying. Don't give up because you could be this close to your miracle. Keep putting the word of God into practice. Don't rely on somebody else to feed you because you'll starve in some places. You can feed yourself. Let the word of God minister to you. Give yourself permission to cry because sometimes you just have to cry. God made us that way to release the stress and the burdens of life. And don't try to fix someone who's crying. It says grieve with those who grieve. It doesn't say rejoice with those who are grieving. Right? Deanna spoke about that earlier. Grieve with those who grieve. Sit in that uncomfortable place and go, oh my gosh, she's crying. I don't know what to do. Just put your arm around her and let it be. Keep putting the word of God into practice. Keep fighting the good fight. It's a fight. It's a battle. But the battle is not in fighting like this with your fists. The battle is in being at peace when everything around you is chaos. That's the battle. The battle is not judging someone and coming up against someone with your words. That's not the battle. Or even doing spiritual battles. Some, you know, some believe you've got to get into warfare and all that. And there's a time and a place for that. But I say, submit to God and the enemy must flee. Right? Resist the enemy. He's got to go. Stay in God. Stay in him. And the enemy's got to go. And he will run. Let your light shine. Women of God. Let your light shine. I can't wait. A year from now, I'm going to get in touch with you, Linda. And I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to speak or not. I don't need to speak. I think it would be good for you to hear from other people. But I would love to hear the miracles of what's going to happen in your lives between then, between then and now. Because I know that they're going to be released in this place. I know it. I believe it in your families. Don't give up on the prodigals. Keep praying. Keep going forward. And let's do this thing that God has called us to do. Choose joy. God bless you.